0: Hello and welcome to episode 123 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, technically Englewood, it's the one and only Shane Beeps.
1: Man, I feel very doxxed. Stan, did you say it's episode 123? That's a lucky number. Per, perhaps you mean one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Beep, 11, 12. Beep,
2: beep, 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 beep. I don't think that's what he meant. Beety, beety, beep, 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 beep.
0: Also with us, the Godfather, Dave Harbarger.
2: Stan, did you spend a lot of time watching Schoolhouse Rock? Or oh, wait, that wasn't Schoolhouse Rock. Was that the Electric Company or was that Sesame Street? I think that was Sesame Street. Sesame Street. Did you watch a lot of Sesame Street? Uh, what's a lot? daily why i don't know till age 15 16 that would that would be a lot
0: when i was truly little i loved barney and i loved the lamb chop show
1: Mm -hmm. oh yeah my little brother watched those because you're his age
0: yeah i was also really into the nickelodeon programming so oh yeah rugrats hey arnold and what's not rugrats yeah camp Anawana. i guess salute your shorts salute your shorts
1: yeah that was never good hey hey dude hey dude hey dude yeah
0: um there, there's that other one about the gala Gullah, Gullah island, island. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah awesome well the, there, there's our side podcast uh kickoff show <laughs>
2: old stuff you like we're gonna do, <laughs> so we're gonna do a deep dive on episode 111 of pinwheel uh this week so that's a good time to hop on the series if you're ready for it so just watch in the feed it's called the nickelodeon down the nickel down I, um, the Nickelback. almost
1: almost sped out my beer for real so thanks dave
2: on this week's episode, we're going back
0: to the classic segment that made us famous. It's a Sleeve Believe Heave episode, Strixhaven edition, with a special focus on modern. But first, we're going to take a look at the results of Star City Games' recent historic IQ series and see what newness has been discovered there this weekend.
2: Yeah, not sure that there are IQs. I just mocked that in the notes. It's some kind of tournament series that that uh,
0: SCG did. It's It's... IQ queues. It's eight satellites that queue for an IQ. Ah, wow, there you go. Perfect. Yeah, this week's breakdown is once again brought to you by our sponsor,
2: Pivot Tables. Yeah, Excel. Excel. Where you are we? You guys at? hear my cat? Do not hear your cat. Is he pawing at the door? Is he meowing? Andy, what are you doing? He can't wait to get his paws on those Pivot Tables, just like the rest of us.
0: But first, let's housekeep. Just a single new increased patron this week, Kilgore Trout. Thank you so much for your support.
2: Kilgore we know who you are we know you my my human thank you
0: if you out there would like to support the dive down you can do so at patreon.com slash the dive down supports us directly gets you access into the super secret slack channel and other swag at different tiers early access to the episode video is a new thing that we've recently added yeah
2: it's been working out why not
0: people love the way we look
2: you want to listen to an early video of it? You got it. You want to listen to an early MP3 of it? You got it. It all starts at $5. Yeah,
1: or even at $1. Uh, also brought to you, yeah. So if you want to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. I forget if Stan said it. I'm just going to repeat it. Uh, ManaTraders.com, promo code the dive down gets you 15% off your first three months. Again, I was able to use ManaTraders this week, some modern testing. And reminded yet again, it's the flippin' best. It gets the job did.
2: Yeah, and uh, I forgot to return my deck last night. I need to return it after the after this uh, podcast recording tonight, but it doesn't matter because it's full of cards that nobody wants to play with, to be honest. No spoilers. <laughs> uh,
1: my deck is full of cards people want, but the deck is cheap. It's like 190 tickets. No one no one needs to pay for these cards. But yeah, go, uh, uh, go over. Manatraders.com. Promo code, the dive down 50% off first three months. Also download the untapped arena companion, track your stats. This is one of those bad weeks for old Shane where he doesn't want to be tracking his stats, but untapped tells him the horrible
2: secret about his play. Well, it's not a secret when you tell us about it constantly in our Slack admin channel. Shane, well, I apologize. You know, it's I'm, I'm Shane, Shane, the, the tilt box. Been, I've just been plotting your win rate the last couple of days. I have some pivot tables I like to show you and they are upsetting.
1: But anyway, download that it gives us a little kickback. Totally free. Uh, sits in your system tray, tracking your play. It's kind of kind of creepy, but I assume everything's good. So <laughs> <laughs> it's never, never harmed anybody in the past.
2: I don't, I don't get a weird little alert from my, you know, my Kapersky. Yeah, antivirus. You, you know what they what uh, what they say about when you assume, uh, you get doxed.
1: Yeah, don't get doxed. Stan, uh, the breakdown's over in your
0: court, right? Heck yeah! I saw an opportunity to make a spreadsheet with a thousand rows, and I took it. It's another SCG Satellite Weekend. Nine historic tournaments consisting of eight satellite events that culminate in a single Sunday 5K. The winners from the 5K qualify for the Players Tour, I believe. Hard to track the path of tournaments these days, but it's a big deal, I think. 1,000 decks, more than 1,000 decks, were played across the entire weekend. Each one entirely unique and beautiful in its own way.
2: Wow. See, that's a lot of decks. It's a lot. Uh, your, your chart has,
0: yeah, 1,000. Wow, that's amazing. So we're going to look at the overall meta the winning decks from the Satellite Feeder events, the winning decks from the Sunday 5K, some standout performers, and weekend breakouts. And if time allows, we'll just go one by one and list off all thousand decks and pilots and their records, uh, their opponent game, w- game win percentage, the player win percentage. Mm-hmm. I'm They're just going to start granular.
2: here. I'm going to let you guys guess who the who the pilot of this one was, but it was just guy Control... 12 points, 73% opponent match win. This is not interesting. Maybe we should rethink this.
0: Yeah, let's just look at the big picture, starting with the overall weekend metagame. So this is all nine tournaments. Like I said, over a 1,000 decks. So these numbers are pretty big, okay? And let's look at the top of the meta, which is a little bit more than half the metagame of decks that appeared at least 50 times. From the top. With 144 decks, nearly 13% gruel, aggro, still and large among the overall historic player base.
1: Yeah, why not? Straightforward-ish gameplay, get to play Ember Cleave, get to put a clock on people. Solid deck.
0: You heard it here first. The second most popular deck, 99 copies of this one, about 9% of the metagame. A very strong showing for Selesnya Company, which prior to Strixhaven, in my opinion, was a fringy take on taxes in Historic. And we're going to look a little bit closer at it in a cool decks ink section at the end of the breakdown. But Selesnya Company, remember that name because we're going to be mentioning it.
2: Yeah, and the top two decks here combined for you know 13 and 9, 22% of the metagame-ish, collected company decks sometimes, right? I don't know how much Gruul is always running... Collected company. Now, I know sometimes some people like it, some people don't, but um, that's a lot of cocoa. I think, based on what I've seen,
1: it's not necessarily fair to call it a company deck. I think it typically runs more in the side than it does main, at least right now, because depending on how much controls in the meta, and we will be talking about that, of course, is c- kind of what I think determines what Gruul's doing main. And you might want to have a few in your sideboard for those controlled matchups where you want to have access to coming back from a sweeper pretty well. Uh, right now, the Gruul that I've been seeing is not running a lot of Cocoa main, but you're right. And I think what's interesting here about and Company, uh, I know Stan said it we're going to talk about later, but it is not weird for me to see this come right after Gruul aggro because I would consider it a foil to Gruul because it's. I think Gruul has a pretty bad matchup against this deck in particular.
0: Right on. Third most popular deck from the weekend with 86 copies, almost 8%. It was Jeskai Control, still doing Magma Opus plus Torrential Gear Hulk Tings. This is shocking to me.
2: Honestly, that this deck would be 7.7% of the broader metagame because... Really? I don't, really? I don't think it's that good. Well, does but, that ever stop people from playing Control, Dave? Yeah, but this is like a combo-y Control deck. It's not just like a straight-up value-y control deck. It's it's a little more kind of like all in on trying to get value off of a specific payoff than like azorius is you know you know what i mean
0: sure but that specific payoff doesn't win you the game on the spot it just accrues a ton of value no it's I mean.
2: just it absurdly expensive and doesn't win you the game at the, uh off the top and uh, i'll have more to say about it much later no spoilers
0: <laughs> fourth
2: most popular deck
0: 83 copies, 7.4 percent Orzov Auras,
2: still out here. People are still putting pants on things.
0: Yeah, no belt, just a rubber cord. 81 copies, 7.3 percent Demir Combo, uh, which is another new addition to the format. It's a known as Tainted Pact Combo. It's kind of a singleton blue-black control deck. It's got this deterministic. Two-card synergy between Tainted Pack and our old friend Thassa's Oracle. Remember Thassa's Oracle?
2: Yeah, unfortunately. One of my least favorite cards.
0: Have you noticed how Thassa's Oracle never appears just as a value scry play? It's always winning a game.
2: Yeah, it's that other sentence that seems to, people seem to be interested <laughs> in. I don't know why. Sixth most popular
0: deck, 68 copies of it, 6.1% is Simic Aggro. Another breakout deck for the weekend Basically doing mono green stompy things and splashing blue primarily for one new card, and that's Decisive Denial. It's a Strixhaven instant.
1: No, let me talk about this later, Stan. Let me talk about this
0: later. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's a Strixhaven instant, dot, dot, dot. Seventh most popular deck with 58 copies, 5.2%. It's our friends, Demir Rogues, doing everything we talked about last week. I clicked around some random rogues lists, and I just didn't see any innovation week over week. Felt pretty stock, actually, which is cool. And then the eighth most popular deck, last deck to have more than 50 copies, and now it's 57 copies, 5.1%. Is it Phoenix? The birds are back in town.
1: Yeah, I've been seeing, I still, of course, have been seeing Is it Phoenix on the ladder here and there. And this is still one of those decks where it's like, I don't know how it's doing it, but it is doing it. A lot a lot of a lot of annoying times where it's just like, you know, they make their land drops, cast some spells, and all of a sudden they cast three, four spells in a turn, clear my board out, have some Phoenixes, and
2: I'm feeling pretty bad about my life. Yeah, and then it's even worse when they hit you with a f 16-4 crackling drake. That's the real beater, is it's
1: it's you always I mean at least I did. I was kind of like oh, I have my scavenging ooze out. Like, maybe I have a chance here. And that's like, oh, yeah, Crackling Drake. Counts cards in exile, because why not?
2: The exile zone doesn't need to exist when Crackling Drake's there. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise the card would be stone unplayable instructed. So that's our that's our help. Yeah, I know you would. These are not your cards. So this is total. This is about 60% of the metagame standard. Mm-hmm. It looked like to me from like back of the napkin math. I mean... It's pretty cool to see the variety of decks here. There are a couple of decks here that certainly people are not enjoying playing against right now. Um, Tainted Pact, I'm looking at you. I'm gonna see where that goes. But um, yeah, this is a good a good spread of different decks. You've got a tempo e deck. You've got your your is it Phoenix like combo aggro spells deck. You've got uh, a combo deck. You've got a control deck. You've got auras, whatever auras is, and then you've got a couple of really solid creature decks at the top. It seems like a metagame I'm happy playing.
0: Totally agree. I almost wonder if this is the best historic environment we've seen since we got into the format because of how diverse it is right now.
2: It's diverse.
1: I think it's diverse both in terms of gameplay styles and decks in those styles, which is pretty valuable. And so I think that uh, if you if you like options, then sure. Uh, Historic's feeling pretty good. I think Historic has some... Issues that people might have in terms of like single card power level or things like that or the way that decks are winning the games or kind of the snowball effects of some of that. But I think that you're right, Stan, which is historic's feeling fun. And it's uh, definitely a great format to be playing on Arena, especially with all these tournaments we have going on. Like shout out to SCG for keeping these things going. And we have, there's a lot of players in today's
0: 5K. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that the most popular deck, Gruul. pretty fair. But not only that, it's not a big slice of the pie. You know, it's 12.9% of the overall weekend. And though the quote-unquote other category not that big, it's also just like about 15%, if that. I feel like there isn't a, a specific menace that's kind of, you know, eaten everybody up right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, certainly I think that there's a lot of people popping around in the historic queues right now and on the ladder right now that are frustrated by some of the different gameplay styles that are out there but um, when you look at it at high-level play like this, I don't I don't mind this meta at all, I feel like, just on the surface.
0: For sure. Now let's take a look at the winning meta from the satellites. So these are decks that... This is where the real
2: frustration appears.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. These are decks that went at least six zero or 5-1. Remember, this is a six-round tournament, and I believe you have to go 4-2 or better to make it into the Sunday event. But we're just going to look at people who went either undefeated or almost went undefeated. There were 95 players in this sample. And I'm going to list off the decks that appeared at least five times. Um, really nice clean number because five copies of a deck, that's about 5%. Mm-hmm. Once again, the most popular deck was Gruel, And there were 14 copies coming up uh, right around 14.7%. So a little bit of a positive conversion there, but not significant growth. Followed by Orzov Auras, which surpassed both Selesnia Company and Just Guy to come in the second most uh successful deck among the decks that went uh almost or totally undefeated.
2: Yeah, that's kinda of, that's a pretty reasonable bump for for Auras to to hop up from uh what was it, seven point nine percent of the broad meta or seven point four percent of the broad meta up to twelve point six. That's that feels significant to me. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, twelve Orzov decks appeared there. Um, third most popular, or at least most successful, was Demir combo with another big jump. Eleven decks for eleven point six percent. Tainted hmm. Pact hmm. be winning games, followed by nine. Is it Phoenix decks? Oh, also a that. big jump. Yeah, seriously. And people love talking about how bad Is it Phoenix is. Not me, but other people are saying eight copies of Selesnia Company which was actually a slight decline in its relative representation. Uh, but a significant drop dropout, say, in terms of popularity, because that was the second most popular deck, and it's, what, the the fifth most successful deck among the ones we looked looking at. Mm-hmm. And then there were five copies each of Simic Aggro, Rakdos Arcanist, Azorius Control, and that's it. Each of those making about 5.3%. Yeah, this kind of
1: gets to... Th- this is what we usually see happen, right? Which is just like, hey, we've got this big meta with like a lot of reasonable pie pieces. And then we're like, well, what's actually winning?
0: And we have half those decks about. Totally. There were uh, 11 one-ups in this winner's bracket, including some familiar favorites like Neostorm, Mono Red Burn, Jun Sack, even Elves. And there were some new players, such as, hint, hint, Teamer Phoenix. Which I think we're going to talk about later. Also, a deck called Boros Midrange that I'll try to highlight in a bit. Mono blue spirits, what and teamer super friends. Fun of the yeah of those ninety five players that made it to the finals, so to speak. Eleven of them were undefeated. Two Simic aggro, two Orzhov auras, two is it Phoenix, and then one of's for Jund Company, Jund Citadel, which are both. Different versions of Junsack, basically, Jeskai control, Gruul aggro, and Azorius control.
2: Undefeated's kind of random, right? Like, but it's cool to see what decks actually made it through through all the way through. You, you can imagine, you know, a lot of scenarios where a deck that's performing really well only puts one or zero copies into this eleven bracket, you know, of undefeated decks, but still has really good representation and a positive win rate overall. But it's interesting to see this list, especially with doubles of. Auras and Phoenix at the top of the list with that new Simic Aggro deck. Yeah, Rogues does not seem to have performed as you mentioned here, Shane. If you look at the six 0s and five ones, as as uh, Stan pointed out in his pie graph, Demir Rogues was only two percent of that group, where it was five point two percent of the broader metagame. So it's a big dip, I think.
1: Yeah, and like there's there's a few things missing here. Right. Like there's, there's stuff that I would have assumed we would have seen like sort of Mizzic's mastery, sort of the reanimation style decks. Those don't really seem to be here. I think the, the combo players are really going towards this demure combo list. uh, I think primarily, and the Jun Citadel list is essentially a combo deck, I think in a lot of ways too. Correct.
0: Basically. I mean, it can combo win with that citadel, but it can also just grind with the usual junsack stuff.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind of like the the funny weird stuff that I think that rogues was able to prey on pretty well. Like spell heavy, spell combo type decks um, aren't really showing up, and I think that's one of the good reasons we're not seeing rogues able to take over. Like it does, I think, struggle with the dense creature. Decks like Gruul Agro and Selesnya and Auras and
0: things like that.
1: So, And it's just going to fuel Phoenix and all that kind of stuff.
0: Totally. Also, Green White Company and Tainted Pact are absent from this undefeated list. But don't forget about them just yet. Because let's jump over to the Sunday 5k. We had 13 decks go undefeated. Two of them were Selesnya Company. Two of them were Tainted Pact. We also had two Jund Company, two Orzhov Auras, um, another Jund Food, Just Guy Control, Is It Phoenix, Gruel Agro, and Demir Rogues.
2: How big was this field for the 5K?
0: There were 247
2: decks or All right.
0: players All right. in the 5K.
2: Pretty big. Pretty big. Pretty big shoe. Yeah, that's like a really big old school PTQ size 250 players you know that's like a one of the giant side events at a grand prix kind of size
1: and we have we have full data from this at this point right like we've got all sorts of
0: good data yeah it it was all on mtj melee i actually just exported the data from their
2: friendship with goldfish over it is amazing how much how easy melee makes it to get information about the tournaments that are on it
0: also very easy to export into a spreadsheet (laughs) love it so let's look from this 5k decks that went 4-1 or better. The 5k was 5 rounds. Okay? So this is players that either went undefeated or just made it into the finals. Here we have 63 different decks. Okay. And the most successful deck among here among these with 11 copies, 17.5% Orzov Auras. So we've we've jostled around the spread a little bit. The second most successful deck was Jeskai Control, nine copies, fourteen point three percent, followed by Demir Combo, eight copies, just shy of thirteen, and then with seven copies of each was Is it Phoenix and Selesnia Company?
2: Wow, yeah. I mean, one thing that's interesting is that we just got a, a link to a post by uh, Robert Taylor at Fireshoes, a person well worth knowing on Twitter, of course. Oh my gosh, this I, I look. At Fire Shoes, more than any other magic person on Twitter. Yeah. Robert was an early person to reach out to us, actually. I talked, I think I talked to him a long time ago on, on, Uh, a dm on twitter just saying hello and then noticed that he's putting out really incredible kind of like compilation of what's going on uh across all kinds of different tournaments so he he shared a post that looks like it's from melee that includes the match win percentages for all the decks and so why don't we go back through this kind of slices of the pie that you haven't talked about the win rates that these actually had so orzavora's the most represented deck by numbers in that in that kind of like well-performing bracket that stan pointed out had a 52.6 yeah 53 ish uh percent win rate. jeskai control also around 53 52.7 percent win rate demir combo is the one that i wanted to highlight with what the win rate was because with 17 copies third in our winner's bracket kind of representation uh demir combo went 59 59 percent 59.09 win rate you know what that makes me think dave
1: you're gonna see more of this on the ladder next week (laughs) and guess what there's also
2: a line on here that says grixis combo that i believe is the same deck potentially just running underworld breach in it though i don't have a deck list in front of me i know that they're they've started to expand out into other colors that deck had 57.89 percent win rate while it had much fewer players pop uh piloting it uh there it is then we have oh god
0: that Chris combo version, it did appear several times in the SEG satellite events. It's also running black for things like Prismari Command.
2: Red for things like Prismari Command, you mean?
0: Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, thank you. So basically more card draw.
2: Totally. Makes sense. I mean, it's it's not like a high a high bar to splash a third color, especially if you're only using it for some things. And then Celesnia Company was actually sub-50%. So even though it was represented in our 4-1 or better bracket, across the entire event, it only had a 49% win rate. It was the most played deck, uh, though at 37, 37 people pl- brought that to that tournament. So you can get some of that cannibalization going out of the win rate, but its ma- match win rate was sub-50. Is It Phoenix was at 54.65%. And then Gruel Aggro, as we mentioned earlier, and just for fun, why don't we talk about it? Because it was the most played deck in the earlier tournament. Forty-two percent win rate. <laughs> that
1: that is how it's been
2: feeling for me. Yeah,
1: I have had, I have been feeling like I'm Sisyphus pushing a boulder. Uh, it's been it's been pretty rough. Uh, I just I just always feel like I'm just getting outclassed or not putting a clock on people. It's like Embercleaver Bust, which is. Not always what it's felt like, but it's what it feels like right now. Like I think it's weird. Like in the control meta, of like let's say this the the Simic days or the Saltai days, it's kind of like I have enough things with haste, and I can I have enough things with weird ma- like uh, alternate mana costs that you can't sweep my whole board. I'm just be able to sort of chip you down. And now it's just like I'm getting you know people are going over the top on me, or they're they're blocking me with Selesnya Company, big butts or something like that. So yeah, Gruul... It's not in the best spot right now. This is one tournament, of
2: course. But that's kind of how it's been feeling. One tournament, big sample. Thousand decks. Thousand decks is a lot, a lot. lot. I know it's one day, but... It's like two days. We don't see tournaments. Yeah, you're right, two days. We don't see tournaments this size as frequently as we're used to pre-COVID, right? It's like these come up maybe once every two months or once every, you know. So something to keep in mind, meaningful numbers. I think what's more important
1: perhaps is just... When you look at this bin, this match win percentage list, this makes me happy. Like, this is a lot of stuff, like 46 to 54. Like, there's not a lot of stuff that's kind of really collar-tugging. This demir combo might end up being that, but they have shown that they're willing to respond to a weird historic metagame issues. Also, historic is big enough, and there's enough players in it that I think they respond well to meta changes. So there might not, I'm not saying we need a ban. I'm saying that there's, there will be people responding to this. This is a healthy metagame. This is, this is good stuff. There's a lot of different decks and they're all in the fifties and forties. That's where I want to be.
0: Totally agreed. I feel like one of the things that's standing, uh, absent from the historic metagame right now, we have aggro, we have mid range compound control. Do we have any big mana decks? And is there anything else that we should be Kind of on the uh, on the lookout for in the future.
2: Yeah, I mean, your colorless ramp kind of thing is not really around in any of these results. Your paradox engine stuff is not in any of these results. There don't look to be any Nissa shaker of the uh, what's that one? Is it shaker of the shaker World. of worlds? Worlds, yep. yeah. There don't look to be any of those kind of decks. So those pillars from before seem to be sleeping for now, or or decks that were you know some people thought were good at different points in the metagame don't seem as present as they used to be. Although, let's take a look at that teamer, teamer, uh, super friends list you mentioned. I, I suspect there might be a Anissa in there, but we'll see. Um, yeah, so I could see the whole big mana thing not being not being as present as it as it was. I think a lot of people kind of oversold that Jund sack Jund food. Rakdos sack seems to be gone, but all all of that like World of Decks people were kind of saying that. They thought that that was not going to survive the transition into Strixhaven historic. And I got to say, like, John Company was 57%, John Food was 56%. Um, I think that those decks are still around and still viable. Um, I don't think there's really any evidence to show that this metagame shift has caused them to become less effective at all, really. Heck yeah. So that's what the
0: metagame looks like. It wouldn't be a breakdown. At least a fun breakdown if we didn't talk about some specific breakout decks. And that's what's dope about Historic right now, right? Is like There
1: are new decks every week, and sometimes they're sticking around, sometimes they're uh, fading pretty quickly. And so, yeah, this is this is what CDI is all about, is wacky Historic decks. Cool
0: decksing! All right, let's start with Green White Company. This deck started to emerge as, I would say, a format player as a true format threat a week or so ago. I was playing Demir Rogue still and just getting eaten alive by this deck. For Elise Spellbinder is the newest card in this deck. But otherwise it's kind of what you might expect from like a green-white creature-based mid-range deck. You got Skyclave Apparitions and Archon of emiria a little bit of ramp with Lanawar Elves, your um, your top end is Ronus got some love struck beasts
2: yeah and you still coco and Aronis, so you know
0: yeah i mean
1: i think i personally think the really important thing about this deck is not that it's just like a big green white beater deck is that it's a disruptive green white beater deck and this deck would not be a thing if it was just like hey i'm the slightly slower creature deck that stops gruel aggro like because the disruptive elements also stop what other decks are trying to do in a a lot of ways which is why i think it has a lot of play and also puts a clock down on people at the same time uh and as we know disruption plus a clock can be good
0: yeah it's got the hallmarks of a great creature deck where it's just like everything is a must kill whether they throw down a Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, or a Scooz, or a Luminarch Aspirant, which is a four of in all of these lists. it just The whole deck snowballs so crazy and disrupts you along the way that unless you're light on removal um, or just, a, you know, unless you have Wraths in your deck, it gets really hard to recover from what the engine that they create.
2: Yeah, one thing that's really interesting about uh, the way that this list that I'm looking at is constructed anyway, and I'm not sure if it's for all of them, but Thalia, Guardian of Th- Thraben, one of in the main, two of in the side, playing essentially playing Archon of Emeria over that that card in a lot of ways as a as a tax piece, um, in the main anyway, which I think is pretty interesting because Thalia is used to being like the the best, you know, kind of like the tier one of disruptive tax creatures. Um kind of a surprise there. But I can see being like, okay, what we're really trying to do is we want to land awar elves into a three drop on turn two, so I guess we don't want to run Thalia because of that, but it's kind of interesting that they're still playing for Luminarch Aspirant and three Scavenging Ooze, but only one, one Thalia. Sure, she's not great with Coco, but, yep. you know, or still a great kind of surprise.
0: Yeah, I think she's also really easy to kill, especially with how popular Phoenix is right now. There's so many one-mana shock effects that, sure, you're paying two, but she's still not sticking around that easily as opposed to Archon kind of a Myriad, is actually a little harder to kill since it has a bigger, but
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean just interesting kind of tweaks going on in the meta here. Shane, tell us about this Simic company deck.
1: Oh, I, I, I've been playing this deck.
2: Hey, have you, have you all ever tilt crafted a deck? <laughs> yeah, actually I was, I was ready to make fun of you, but I totally have.
1: <laughs> yeah, like I, I I, have this week. Uh, I have been doing very badly the past like few days, you guys. Like just like the kind of play and win rates where I'm just sort of like reassessing my whole approach to the game. Like right now, like what are where are these leaks in my game? As like is it my... Am I undervaluing my individual cards? Am I sequencing things wrong? Do I like fundamentally misunderstand what Gruel is trying to do, even after like 300 matches with the deck? And so I was just like, "I'm gonna play the Simic deck. Why not? It's gonna cost me like 11 rare wild cards. I've got them. So I made this deck.
0: Question: Yes, did you make this deck after it just started doing well in the last couple of days?
1: Yeah, like it, yeah, it showed up. It beat me. And I was like, "That looked fun." I'm angry at Gruel. Let's just play a different Gruel style deck. Um, cool, cool, cool. Whether or not it's actually like Gruel is 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 another question. Uh, so this is, this deck is actually pretty reminiscent of an old Pioneer favorite of a Simic Stompy deck. If you remember that back sure. like when Oko was a thing. Uh, but really, what it, it was kind of Oka was a big thing, but then also Stubborn Denial was a major player because you had so many four power creatures that your seven denials was, was often on. And so this is green stompy with interactive cards. Some were in the the sideboard and like we get we get classics like negate and aether gust, but more importantly we get a four of in the main deck of decisive denial. Decisive denial is a uh, green and blue simic, uh, instant, choose one. Target creature you control fights target creature you don't control or counter target non-creature spell unless it's controller pays three generic mana. So this is Simic drown on the lock, right? It's just drown <laughs> on the lock for Simic yeah. vaguely. Um, and it it plays kind of like you'd expect. It plays like a, a green beatdown deck where you have just a lot of stuff that's punching above its mana value. And uh, you get to play Collected Company. You get to fight stuff. You get Ronis, which is super nice. And you try to overwhelm your opponent with creatures. Uh, my issue is that I haven't been blown away by this deck because it sort of plays like a slow green stompy deck and that you <laughs> occasionally have some disruption, which can be good. But it's like, is that is that really worth it? Like, it's sort of like Gruel having access to Embercleave, this deck has access to uh, Decisive Denial. And those do very different things, right? So I think in some metas, Decisive Denial is maybe what you want, like in a spell-heavy meta. And in other metas where you want to outclass what other creature decks are doing, or maybe put a faster clock down, then you maybe want access to Embercleave. Uh, This also dramatically lacks haste. And that's a big issue, When you are maybe facing removal or facing sweepers or things like that. And you just want, you you just sort of feel like, okay, I cast my big thing. Hope I can untap with it. And even if you do, is that enough when there's other big creatures out there as well? So I don't know. I think it's, it's, it didn't perform super well,
0: uh, on Sunday. How, how has it gone well for you though? Oh, badly. How's your tilt craft? Oh, oh no, badly. It's, it's,
1: oh badly! My my! I just man! It's I'm trying not to be negative here on this podcast, but my i my my play and my luck have combined to make me feel like I'm very bad at magic.
0: If it makes you feel any better, the. Match win percentage for Simic Aggro was only thirty six percent. So maybe oh, I you crafted a, a bad deck.
1: Well, what's cool is like a lot of those green creatures are things I wanted. Where it's like, hey, I got like a second Ronis, and like I, I finally made the those Steel Leaf champions that have made me not play other kind of Elfy decks or like Stompy decks. So it's like there, there's always a time and place to cast a three mana five four, my friend.
2: Well, good luck with that. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. And right, I don't mean Magma Pack. Opus, because that has an <laughs> elephant on it. But yeah, Tainted Pact. Kazandu Mammoth? Exactly.
0: So I, I guess I kind of mentioned it briefly. It's a lot of one-offs in a blue-black control deck. And when I talk about the one ofs, I'm talking about things like Memory Leak. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card, in that player's graveyard or hand and exile it that's a card you can play i guess when you need a handful of one of it does have cycling so that helps but it's got things like thought erasure it's got grim tutors it's got several rats in the form of shadow's verdict languish crux of fate it's got other tutor effects in addition to grim tutors such as masterminds acquisition Uh, i've seen versions that play I, i think it's called witch's oven that was the one in the old or it's not witch's oven. Yeah, which witch's oven. Which is jun, talisman? The, the, the oh, jun
1: Sack. Yeah, yeah which is talism- talisman? That, that's your favorite card, which is talisman. Remember that?
0: Yeah, yeah I haven't casted in a long time. I forgot what it was called. Which is talisman? Which claw talisman? In fact, thank thank you. That,
2: that's right. Yeah, we haven't. I don't know if we've talked about how this deck actually works though, because yeah. what it is is it's a self mill deck, right? So it uses Thassa's Oracle to to use their trigger to um to win. The alternate trigger to win, and the way that you get rid of your library is through a card that was in Strixhaven Mystical Archive, Tainted Pact. Okay, and the idea is that because Tainted Pact is an instant, you cast your Thassa's Oracle, put the trigger on the stack, and then cast Tainted Pact at the same time. And what Tainted Pact says is, exile the top card of your library. You may put that card into your hand unless it has the same name as another card exiled this way. Repeat this process until you put a card into your hand or you exile two cards with the same name, whichever comes first.
0: Do you think um, that last line of text ever comes first? Where Not you exile deck.
2: two cards with the same name? Not in this deck, it doesn't, because you're uh, you're running all one-ofs except for you're running two Thassa's Oracle and two Tainted Packs, because... <laughs> can, I, can,
1: I, can I say how much I love that? Well, <laughs>
2: yeah. because... The combo is getting those two cards, and so when you tainted packed, when you have Thassa's Oracle out, you don't run into
1: duplicates. Yeah, you yeah,
2: you, you can't. Yeah, you That's can't it. Yeah, it's beautiful. So beautiful I'm, deck building. I mean, I'm, I've played against this deck a couple times. It can be really frustrating because, I I mean, I kind of hate decks like this. The just from a play perspective, but it's amazing to me like how often I've died to this deck on turn four, where it's oh, like yeah. okay, constantly they know that I'm not on blue. And so, like somehow they manage to arrange it where they have they draw both of one of their two ofs, and we go to town. Now, like Stan said, there's tutors in the deck, there's card draw in the deck, there's disruptive elements in black, there's there's uh, creature removal, and all, all kinds of different stuff. There's Luris in here to be able to help you get your Thassa's Oracle back, I guess, if you happen to get it get it uh, thought seized. But also, there's other things, you know. Luris could recur. Mindstone, I guess if you really wanted to draw a bunch of cards and like some other stuff like that as well. But we thought Crux of Fate was unplayable. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. Wow, take your victory lap now, Shane. This deck has to play.
1: No, I, no, I no,
2: I I didn't say it was good. I said it was bad. I, play, I thought like tier D. It's playable because you want to have three wraths in this deck and so you run one languish, one shadows verdict and one crux of fate. There might be more, but there are so many lines to look at here that's um, hard to keep it up. It also always felt like they just had the answers that they needed when I was playing against this deck, too. And it's because there are a lot of cards that are redundant, right? Like, you play one, mm-hmm. you play four different two-mana uh, kill cards. And then that's kind of like playing four eliminate, basically. You just have to, like, craft your game plan so that you're using each of these one-offs to the best of your abilities,
0: Sometimes this deck has a companion, and uh, frequently it's Lurus, but we've also seen um, the Otter.
2: Lutri, yeah.
0: Lutri, the Otter, just because you meet the conditions, since everything is in one of, and then you can occasionally cast Lutri to just double up an important spell as well.
2: Uh, And also Uh, you can use it, there's another way to do the combo where you double up on Tainted Pact with it. I think you, you somehow like... Yeah, I don't remember how it works, but there's there's some stacking that you can do to make Lutri work work with the combo as well. Uh, this yeah. deck is annoying.
0: That's, yeah, <laughs> that's what cool, I have to say. The cool thing about the Luris version is that it's got Chromatic Sphere, Mindstone, Maze Mind Tome, so it's got some of these cheap artifacts that you can potentially recur right. and cycle to draw extra cards as well. Right.
2: So I would be keeping an eye out for this deck. You know, it's gonna be around. I think that's it's really tough to anticipate what to do against a deck like this if you don't have a way to counter a spell, and so just keep that in mind. Like you want to be as fast as possible when you're playing against this deck because they do brick sometimes, but they also have lots of ways to get the cards that they need.
0: Cool. All right, here's a card deck that I don't think you need to be keeping an eye out for. We're not going to talk about it for too long. I just want to mention it because in some tournaments it did really well. It went seven and two in the five k. In other events, it did very poorly, like 1-3 in Satellite 8. And that is Jeskai Mutate Combo.
2: I'm sorry, what?
0: Jeskai Mutate Combo.
2: Can I tell, can I admit something to you guys?
0: You still don't know how Mutate works. I still don't know how
2: Mutate works. I've never cast a card with Mutate
0: on it ever, 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 ever. I'll teach you one day. All right. I'm not going to read what these cards do. I'm just going to name some of the creatures in this deck for you guys to enjoy and admire. Polywog, Symbiote. You mm-hmm. know what that card does? Nope. Pouncing Shore Shark. Nope. Heard of that. How about Porky Parrot? It's
2: a good one. This was one of the ones that when I opened a uh, Ikoria Pack, my, my kid really loved the picture on this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is
2: cute. It's also got um, the
0: combo for Chance for Glory. Do you remember that card? Sure. This no. is
2: this is a card that costs a colorless, a red, and a white, and it is a mythic from uh, Ravnica, the most recent Ravnica set, main Ravnica set, and it's called, and it says creatures you control gain indestructible, take an extra turn after this one. At the beginning of that turn's end step, you lose the game.
0: Good news, Dave. You don't have to lose the game because this deck has four copies of Tails End to counter the
2: ability. Trixie. Okay. I don't know what that has to do with anything else here, but me neither.
0: We're just going to set this deck aside and acknowledge that it is funny, weird, and strange, and Let cool. Me, yeah. <laughs> Let me know if you ever play against it. I have a feeling it's going to start popping up. All right. This next one, Dave. I think you've been playing it.
2: It's Teamer Phoenix. Oh man. Uh, Yeah, and so this deck, uh, last week's Insight XK, like one of the big Insight tournaments that's been going on lately, Insight Gaming, new entrant to Magic Tournament organizing, was won by this Teamer Phoenix deck, uh, piloted by Zan Syed, actually. And so I don't think we should be surprised that a lot of other people picked it up, given how well-known he is for being a good player and for helping design excellent breakthrough decks. It's an interesting take on Teamer Phoenix. Sorry, on Phoenix that brings in Dreadheart Arcanist and the Royal Scions as well. The Royal Science is only a one of, but it's a nice value engine for the deck, and also helps you uh, do some weird things with card casting with Arcanist when you use the second plus ability on here that makes a creature plus two plus zero and gains first strike and trample. Um, The main thing that you get out of this deck there's lots of like little tweaks that happen in this deck. It's running some amount of blitz of the thunder Raptor, which actually I think it's a pretty good card. Maybe even in that Izzet, Phoenix. card is good. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. do you remember, I don't know if you remember during the Icoria spoilers episode, I was like, I really want this card to be something that like prowess can use to kill a giant creature. And no, it never made it there, but totally seems to be worth it in historic because you can do like 15 damage to something sometimes when you really get going with a stack. It, it gives it
1: gives a a color that typically cannot deal with larger
2: toughness creatures. Yeah, something that it's perfect with the rest. The way the deck's working. Yeah, but all that aside, the main thing that's going on in this deck is that it has Dreadheart Arcanist as your secondary threat in here to help you recur spells, and also dabbles into green to cast Abundant Harvest, which is our latest one mana spell that everybody seems to think is kind of too good of a cantrip. Uh, Abundant Harvest is the pre-spoiled card from Modern Horizons 2. And it's a it says choose land or non-land, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card of the chosen kind. Put that card in your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This is just a very good one mana spell that helps you fix so many different situations.
1: Yeah, I'm getting to the point where I'm wondering why I'm not running this in Gruel, at least to test it for a while. Like it just does a lot. I don't
2: want to. I don't want to take away from Teamer Phoenix here, but think about it. This is a good green spell. Yeah. It also lets you move a little bit into having stuff like Cinder Vines in your sideboard and also Clothis, both of which are just kind of nice cards to have that lets you do different things. You know, one is kind of passive graveyard removal. The other one punishes spells matter decks. Um, I think it's 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 good stuff. You know, I've been playing this deck a little bit over the past week. It's been f- Fine, like I don't think I know all the uh, eccentricities of like a casting abundant harvest after casting a brainstorm and getting rid of your stuff. Like all of those sequencing things are super important here because there's like this web of kind of stuff you can do to get. It's another way to get rid of bad cards off of brainstorm, so it makes brainstorm better as well. But I think concentrating on having a lot of the best one mana draw ish spells in this deck with Phoenix makes a lot of sense to me, and um, I think it's a solid deck. I think it takes some practice to play even a little bit more than the blue red one, but um I think we'll see people experimenting with it quite a bit. Now I will say didn't show up in the results as much as the is it one did, but
0: okay. There were five players who played it in satellite events. Okay. Two of them uh, actually had a winning record and it looks like only one of them actually even played in the 5k and the one that made it to the 5k went two and two. Yeah. So kind of kind of middling performance for this weekend for this deck, but not a lot of copies to speak of. Yeah. I don't know. So but I think we need some more testing before we decide green is worth it in Phoenix. I
2: agree overall. as well, but I think it's a cool thing to try. And also just lowering the curve on Phoenix, I think is like a cool thing to do and to keep trying to do. Because notice the card that it really replaces in this build is strategic planning. It replaces all your two drops, uh, draw cards. And um so It's a way to make your deck have a little bit more velocity, get a little more consistently able to have birds go up on turn three. All right.
0: This next deck Teamer of super friends. I think Shane might like this one actually, because it's got a creature package that is very similar to what you might expect from a big chonky gruel deck. You know, you got some Ronuses, some rekindling Phoenixes, some glory bringers and some bone crushers, but you also have this friendly super planeswalker package with things like Royal Scions, Kiora Behemoth Beckoner, that wore the spark one that draws you cards. Mm -hmm. Chandra 4, Teferi Master of Time, with the uh, Autumn art. And the new Planeswalker, Kazmina Enigma Sage, which which has the loyalty abilities of every other Planeswalker on the battlefield.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting deck to me. This is clearly a deck that is like, really trying, we've seen these Kiora Behemoth Beckoner, decks show up occasionally it seems like that's one of the main key cards in here is that get me get me a planeswalker that i can uh draw cards after i ramp into some really giant creatures
0: mm-hmm. basically all of these planeswalkers except Kazmina, actually draw cards right
1: yeah this this is a deck i would play and go to time with like a lot <laughs> like this is this is a lot of thinking when i managing multiple planeswalkers always takes me forever Oh yeah. Uh, Also, I would add at least one land to this deck, Uh, even with the mana elves. This needs more land. But I also didn't win with it. But I think it could. I think I would. I would not hate one more, Uh, especially with you know you have some sort of natural ability like the planeswalkers, especially when they stick. Like they're going to be getting you through your deck, especially cards like Royal Scions, Chandra, things like that. Like it's not going to hurt. I don't think it's going to hurt. Okay,
0: last one, and then we'll jump into the dive boros mid range <sighs> a lot of these decks are similar um and that's because there's several very good creatures in the format that i think are versatile in a lot of decks namely bone crusher giant and skyclave apparition and Glorybringer. um
2: and this whoa, is whoa 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 <laughs> <laughs> let's leave Glorybringer off that list i'm sorry
0: this is you certainly... like Glorybringer.
2: <clears throat> i love Glorybringer in in the right decks but the real like access of power in this particular deck that you're pointing out is the combination of having Skyclave Apparition and Bonecrusher Giant in a deck together and seeing where it goes from there. And then you get access to mm-hmm. all these other things as a result, right? Glorybanger is a card you get to play because you want to play a deck based off of Apparition and Bonecrusher Giant, I think, personally.
0: You might be right. This deck also features four Lightning Helix as well as four Flame Scroll Celebrant. Slash Revel and Silence, which is that new Strixhaven card that's like got Silence on one side and then that tax effect on the other side. That Mm -hmm, one mm -hmm. in a red Human Shaman, whenever an opponent activates an ability that isn't a man ability, it deals one damage to that player.
2: Yeah, tier one card, Flame Scroll Celebrant. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think that, you know, it has four, this has four of Elite Spellbinder too. This is a cool deck to check out if you want to do something that is sort of tax-ish-y, but also has some bigger threats at the end. Namely, the card Stan was talking about earlier, Glorybringer, along with Chandra. This deck runs four Chandra Torch of Defiance, which is yeah. a really good card, but you don't often see it as a four of. This, this is a greedy deck, okay? Like,
1: it runs two Triomes, because it just wants to have cycling once in a while like it it runs four shatter skull smashing and just because like it's this 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 is this is a deck (laughs) that i think could have better mana but i think a lot of decks could have better mana uh it's it's a little greedy but it looks fun as heck
0: Yeah, I wonder if, you know, Elite Spellbinder, Skyclave Apparition, and Raydan, God of the Worthy, which is also three of here, if they're starting to become this little core package of white mid-range plans in Historic in general, and whether you want to splash, you know, go for red or go for green kind of depends on the rest of the deck's texture or maybe the metagame in general, but it feels like we have this great little tax package now in the format that you can apply to a variety of plans
2: yeah and don't forget archon that appears in those decks too although it doesn't appear in this one archon yeah. of Emilia.
0: yeah this deck needs like a heart of kirin oh yeah right all right that wraps up our extra long breakdown we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna dive into a sleeve believe heave playing some new strixhaven cards in modern our favorite format stay with us <laughs>
2: And we're back. So this week, we're going to take a look at a few of the cards and decks that have had an impact on Modern from Strixhaven. Uh, Three decks in particular we're going to talk about. You know, I think it's become clear at this point that Strixhaven hasn't had a massive impact on Modern the way that it has on a format, say, like Historic, especially with the Mystical Archives. But we did find a few fun lists in recent 5-0s and tournaments. Would you guys agree? Do you think that the impact of Strixhaven is pretty contained with the exception of some cards you've talked about on previous episodes, namely clever Lumimancer.
1: Yeah, it was, it was kind of hard. I think when we were, we were going through some deck lists, um, I read a deck lists, the podcast had an episode maybe two weeks ago, where they were kind of like running through modern deck lists. And I think they were also having a little bit of an issue finding an impact on Strixhaven. So yeah, it's, it's has not blown the format open, I think,
2: but it's given us some fun options as always. Yeah. Let's, Of course, Luma aside, which I think is clearly a staple threat, we're not going to talk about it anymore after this right now, because we spent plenty of time talking about the last couple of weeks. So what we're going to do is we each played a deck that we found on a 5-0 list. We each played through it. We're going to give our impressions of it, and we're going to rank them using our patented Sleeve, Believe, Heave rating system. So since it's been a little while since we've done one of these, let's talk about what the ratings mean. Sleeve means we think you should be looking to sleeve it up. We think the deck is probably a staple. You should heavily consider playing it or at the very least understand that lots of people will be playing it. Uh, Believe means we think that there's potential here and you should keep an eye on it or understand how it works. And maybe if it's a deck style that you like or a deck theme that you're a fan of, you could consider playing it because it does work. It just might not be the best deck out there. And then Heave Means uh, we think it's terrible and we throw it out the window and you can just pass. So what decks do we have this week, friends? We want to tell people off the top what we're going to be looking at before we get into the the, the deep versions of it.
1: I see that's an important presentation uh, tactic, Dave,
2: is let people know what they're about to experience. I am a big fan of this. I do it in writing all the time. Let's do it in podcast form. Shane, what did you do? Dave, I played Dredge. It's, no, it's just it's just Dredge, but with a new card and worse mana. There it is. That that's it. That's the whole sleeve. Believe heave. That's what we call a headline, right there. Stan,
0: I played Red Black Witchermancer, which is basically Pyromancer featuring Sedgemore Witch. But I came up with that cool metal name, Witchermancer. <laughs> Toss a coin
2: to your Witchermancer. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: Witchermancer.
2: Uh, And I played Jeskai Magma Opus Control, which is why I had things to say about Magma Opus earlier (laughs) in the episode. Yeah, remember that card? Dave, I thought
0: we were doing a modern Sleep, Believe, Heave. I did play it in modern.
2: Are you you trying to sparring spike it up here? It's just a list that that Stan told me was cool, but it turns out it's just a list that Stan probably should have played. More on that right now. (laughs) So, Stan... (laughs) I'm going to talk about this deck that I played. It was piloted to a five Oh by a player named Nero underscore. That's what it looks like. The name is to me. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think this deck might interest you a little bit. So let's, let's talk for a minute because you like control, right? Sometimes love it. Love it. Love it. And I also heard that you like, is it right? Favorite color combo. So let's talk about some cards. Would you be interested in a deck that has four lightning bolt and four archmage's charms? Heck yeah, I would. Yeah. How about if we go a little deeper? Cryptic Command and Snapcaster Mage.
0: I mean, all those cards belong together. They
2: sure do. Chef's, like, chef's like, kiss. Like chocolate you and really peanut surprised butter.
0: Surprised me yet?
2: Yeah, I thought so. And then how about something really powerful that like ties a really powerful spell that like ties it all together, that gives you like a lot of card advantage, like real or virtual, something like flashy chase? that makes your opponents kind of scream out in terror. How about an eight mana instant? <laughs> now but, but, now we're what? talking this better win the game guess what <laughs> it doesn't and also you say you've never cast an eight mana instant before
0: i've been playing a lot of Strixhaven limited where i'm
2: casting no shortage of them of eight mana instants well then maybe you're familiar with magma opus which we've talked about a little bit one of the most played cards it turns out in the scg this weekend Deck didn't do that great. We didn't talk about the fallout that Jeskai Control had uh, between the broader metagame and the winner's metagame in that SDG event, but it was steep. And Magma Opus uh, is a part of that. It's a similar plan here, but with better, better cards, honestly, than what you have access to in Historic. So Magma Opus, for those who aren't familiar, is a card that costs six colorless blue-red And it's an instant, and it says Magma Opus deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of targets. That's an old card called Pyrokinesis or Pyrotechnics that does that. Uh, Tap two target permanents, create a 4-4 blue and red elemental creature token, and draw two cards. And then at the bottom, it has, is it hybrid? Is it hybrid? Discard Magma Opus. Create a treasure token as an activated ability on the card. I
1: I hate... That I know the text of this card by heart.
2: Why? Like I hate. It's just. It's like why should
1: I know the text of this card, Magma Opus?
0: Because you you're on a Magic: The Gathering podcast.
1: Yeah, I can't tell you like the the actual like Oracle text of many
2: good cards. But I can <laughs> tell you the Oracle text of this bad card. Yeah, this card is probably actually pretty good against the types of decks that you like to play, though, Shane. I can imagine someone someone managing to get to this. They killed two of your creatures, draw two cards, tap two of your creatures down, and create a creature on their side. It seems like it's almost tailor-made to be played against a deck that is like a gruel kind of style thing.
1: Yeah, but hopefully they were able to cast it before turn eight. Right.
0: How about turn six? We can agree this is a powerful effect, right? I think we need to talk about whether it's worth eight mana, but it is a powerful effect.
2: It does a lot of things. I think that the thing that is really interesting about this is that as Shane kind of mentioned or joked about when we were coming into this segment, it doesn't really win you the game guaranteed. You know what I mean? When you get to it. And there are a lot of situations where different parts of this, this text are like not that good, you know, or, or just kind of like, like tap two target permanence is kind of like of marginal value. Sometimes the creature isn't that great because your opponent has bigger creatures. Sometimes the four, like each one of these pieces can be not that great. And that's something that I found a little frustrating playing it. But I think the main thing that is interesting about this deck that Nero managed to pilot to a five O is that this deck is basically just blue moon with a different kind of v- disruptive spell, not disruptive spell even, with a different kind of payoff spell in the kind of focus of the deck. Like Blue Moon, we're trying to get, we want to get that that Blood Moon out at the right time to shut our opponent down, buy us time till we can kind of like grind them out, get our win cons in, and we win through a control game that way. This is a similar game plan, but with something that is much less disruptive when it comes to lands, but more disruptive when it comes to things like creatures and and things like that. Of course, it's stretched into white a little bit for some sideboard cards and a single copy of Teferi Hero of Dharmonaria for you to be able to win against Heliod, I imagine, mm-hmm. is the, the main mm-hmm. idea for why you're playing that card. And it also has Torrential Gearhulk to be able to cast your Magma Opus as early as turn five, where I think it is quite a bit better. And even earlier, potentially, if you get your Prismari commands up and get another treasure token. So there are ways to ramp in this deck from the activated ability on Magma Opus as well as Perjumari Command, which kind of helps enable things a lot of different ways. The change in focus, of course, makes it that we can't run Blood Moon because we have White, and also we just don't really have the space anymore to do that plan as well. So you get this kind of more blue-red controlling shell where your payoff takes a little bit longer to get to and also, I think, is a little bit more conditional, honestly, when it comes to it but it's really splashy when you make it happen.
0: Did you like it? (laughs) Well,
2: I mean, here's the thing. Cannonball splash or a big (laughs) face plant. Ah, Here's the thing. I took it through a league plus. I want you guys to guess how many times I actually managed to cast magma opus across, let's say seven matches. Hmm. Twice. Four, Four. I managed to cast it three times. Oh, but the difference right in the middle. Twice in one game, okay. So there was only one. There were only really two games where I managed to do it, and part of the reason is modern is like a lot faster (laughs) than than I think that this game plan is in historic. Even you know where you can do some of this kind of stuff, and maybe you have that extra turn to be able to really cast Torrential Gear Hulk on five and have it be effective. I struggled a little bit, and the other thing is like it's not as good of a spell i guess is what i'm trying to say as the other spells that are in this deck like archmage's charm and lightning bolt and all these other things that are in this blue red spell spell shell spell control shell are really just like a lot better and it's in my mind as much as as much value as you get off of magma opus because all of the parts aren't always good you don't get enough value on it to win the game and so a lot of times I would have rather just cast, like, you know, there's one of copy of Graven Lore in here in this deck, which is a wild card from Kaldheim um, that lets you scry X, where X is the number of snow spent to cast the spell, and then draw three cards. It's an instant. It costs three colorless and two blue. Like, there's a lot of times where I would just would have rather drawn three cards off of Magma Opus than I really wanted to do four damage and draw two cards and make a creature and do this other thing. Like it, um, it just never really kind of pushed me over the finish line the way that I'd hoped. And the game where I cast it twice, honestly, I was so far ahead that I really could have just cast lightning bolt off of my, my torrential gear Hulk twice. Um, and I think one game I actually had the option to, where I had someone at three life and I had magma opus and also lightning bolt. And I just cast her lightning bolt off of the torrential gear Hulk.
1: Yeah. I feel like they Dave, check my assumption on this one but i feel like magma opus is like the timmy tammy card for is it mages like instead of casting like a gigantic green beater they're like i want to cast magma opus
2: yeah i think that's true and i think the thing that really really makes it that is the potential to cheat it in early off of the discard ability that magma opus has on it which is nice. I mean, they cost like they cost that correctly. It's good that it's on this card. It makes it possible to do some like funky things. And certainly just having access to a treasure occasionally when I would just discard Magma Opus on like turn two in a lot of games to try to get mana up for Cryptic Command on turn three. That's good, you know, and, and it's good to have around. Um, but it just never really felt like the card itself was really worth the space that it was taking up to me um how'd you feel about prismari command in general so that's the thing that surprised me a little bit playing this deck to be honest you know i went one four with this deck i beat amulet in round one and i was like maybe this deck is okay you know i had enough (laughs) i I was like i played a good control game i've I've had that happen so many times like maybe this deck is okay yeah and i was like i was like surprised i was like cool okay so i can do some good work here i managed to beat a really good deck i managed to meet double amulet draws in two different games with it, which was like a lot. Guess what card is good? Guess what card is good for that? Uh prismari Command <laughs> helps. I beat Amulet. I lost to Jeskai Prowess, Esper Control, Red Blue Control Mirror that didn't have uh Opus. It had other other stuff going on in it, and Green White Heliod. I felt like I really had not the right tools against a couple of these decks. I thought that this deck would be good against Prowess. Uh, it, it wasn't particularly good against Prowess. I thought that this deck would be pretty good against Esper Control. It was kind of fine. I probably misplayed to lose that match. Heliod was just like, I don't have any of the right tools to play against Heliod, honestly, in the, in the deck that I had right here, other than the single Teferi. The counter magic isn't good enough? It's just too slow. Like, when they play, out, they play out Arbor Elf or they play out Utopia Sprawl and they're ramping stuff out and I'm kind of like, I got double Archmage's Charm. Like, it wasn't quite the right place to be and you don't at least as configured this deck didn't have like good tools to bring in against against that deck to help you kind of get cheaper faster and disruptive early um Mm -hmm. but stan the the reason i wanted to mention this was you asked about prismari command that was actually the thing that surprised me about this deck quite a bit was i i really found a lot of stuff to do with prismari command in this deck and i feel like um it was helpful you know i was surprised how helpful it was how nice it was to occasionally be able to just is it charm uh in addition to having main deck artifact hate which was nice uh a little bit of extra ramp if you wanted to do it and then uh it's shock shock, it's shock. Looting. that's what it is yeah. so the shock is really is was really helpful as well occasionally to be able to just like shock something and make a treasure or shock something and and uh, draw two, discard two. So it turned out to have plenty of utility. I do think that, you know, like Everett mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it's tough to run a lot of these for value. Like, I think if you were playing straight up Blue Moon, you'd probably still play a couple of Prismari Command because of the utility it has, but also because it helps you discard extra Blood Moons which is a nice feature if you don't really need them at that point in the game. So I was impressed with Prismari Command as far as that goes. Another card that I thought was interesting that this deck has is that it has uh, Frostbite in the main. Yeah. And it has one in the sideboard to get you some extra, like, Planeswalker creature bolts. And that was, like, medium good to have, like, a fifth lightning bolt, I felt like was handy sometimes as well. And you have plenty of snow-covered stuff in this deck to be able to have it have it happen, so...
1: Yeah, Spike's definitely mentioned that he likes it in like, the snow control decks
2: quite a bit. Yeah. So I will say the most fun for me playing this deck was getting back to playing a Snapcaster control deck because I have not done that in a long time. That was fun to think about. But Magma Opus, I think, is a big he for me. It didn't really feel like it had uh, enough of a payoff that was worth the effort it took to make it happen. So... I even feel like it's probably realistically too slow for for historic. Like these tricks are probably too slow for historic as well, but we'll see where that goes. It feels like it has more possibilities there. And certainly it's popular with people right now in historic, but I don't think you're going to be seeing this card a lot in, in modern soon. So heave it, get it out of here. Too bad. Too bad. Go play Cruel
1: Control. Play Cruel Ultimatum, the original Magma Opus.
2: I might have rather had Cruel cruel Ultimatum, honestly. Like, now that you... I didn't even think about that until you said that just now. But, like... Oh, OG cruel Cruel Ultimatum might be better, honestly. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> Splash Grixis. All right. You want me to talk about Mildly Updated Dredge? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Mildly Updated Dredge. Okay. Thrill- okay. People were fairly excited about Thrilling Discovery being added to dredge we've talked
2: about this for a couple weeks in a row yeah and it this has had pretty decent results right like we've seen it a couple of times in challenges at the top and things like that so a bit more established here Yeah, this, this is this is a deck that i mean is this this was this is a consequence of like
1: we said earlier which is just like there's not a lot of new new decks doing like succeeding right now so i thought might as well let's revisit dredge again and see how this feels uh, with Thrilling Discovery, because like like Dave said, people are actually succeed, succeeding with it, and I wanted to dip my toes into the dredge, the, the filthy, filthy dredge waters again. Thrilling Discovery, if you forgot, red and a white, sorcery. You gain two life, because I don't know why. Then you may discard two cards. You may discard, usually you want to, if you're playing dredge. If you do, draw three cards we've mentioned this a few times it acts as a mostly redundant copy of the essential cathartic reunion that's one in the red does the same thing doesn't gain you life but the card discard is part of the casting cost so if totally discovery gets countered uh, you don't get those dredgers in your graveyard like you would with Cathartic. That sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes that's enough to get your dredge chain going again if you have just those discarded ones in there off your next uh, draw that you get replaced with a dredge. But even with that potential issue, you get a rule of eight for this discard to draw three effect. And that's really essential for dredge and its game plan. And having that rule of eight makes enough sense that people were immediately testing this card and seeing some success. Uh, Sodek had a 5-0 in the very first deck dump with uh, Thrilling Discovery. Uh, He basically just like cut Merchant of the Veil, uh, which is typically played for its haggle, adventure, spell, uh, and it added a couple more rainbow lands uh, for a total of three.
2: Can you talk for just a quick second about why Cathartic Reunion was so important to Dredge? Like the original mechanic of discard two, draw three.
1: So if you don't remember what dredge does, it's kind of hard to remember if you don't play it now and then. So what dredge does is it replaces, you can replace a draw with a dredge. And what that is, is you pick the card up out of your graveyard, if it's there, and mill yourself... X. So if it's dredge five, you pick that stinkweed imp up out of your graveyard instead of taking a draw and you mill five cards. And then dredge is entirely built around taking advantage of milling things into your graveyard and getting them back out. So what Cathartic Reunion does is for two mana is you pitch a couple of dredgers from your hand and then you're immediately able to use them th- typically three times. So you can, let's say pitch two dredgers, you dredge five, dredge four, dredge four, and you have, uh, what, 13 fresh cards in your graveyard to get everything uh, spinning up. And typically, that's enough to just really keep everything going on your subsequent turns, put some power onto the battlefield, and hopefully win the game. And so the hard part is, is you want to typically mulligan for having a, an, a, dredge, a dredge enabler and a dredger, at least, in your opening hand, along with basically two lands, and the rest is gravy. So what Thrilling Discovery allows you to do is take advantage of the Rule of Eight, And instead of of having like, what, like a 41% chance to have a Cathartic Reunion in your hand, you are up to that 80% chance to have either a Cathartic Reunion or a Thrilling Discovery in your hand, which is really advantageous when you want to have also two lands and dredgers. So that kind of makes the math a lot more appealing in terms of having keepable
2: opening hands. Does that all make sense? Yeah, that's awesome. And just a reminder for people, this deck originally ran basically Cathartic Reunion and Faithless Looting, right? Yeah. And then Faithless got banned. And so we've been messing around with like what it's always kind of run Streetcorn as one of its options for for self mill, but we've been messing around for a long time with like what is that other card? Right. And so for it had become Haggle from Merchant of the Veil.
1: But which is a discard to then draw, but you only get one, so it's kind of less like hopefully that's enough on turn one to kind of get things going. It also does have uh, uh, an activated ability for when your game goes long on it, it's like what two, two in a red type thing. So, right, there's, there's an option there, but it's not great. So, and then in the very first modern challenge, Zerk ran a very similar build to Sodex, he got a 7 0, or they got a 7 0 first place finish. Uh, showing everyone that Dredge was back, which of course is a very bad thing for Dredge players (laughs) because you don't want people to know that Dredge is back ever because then everyone starts packing graveyard hate. But since then, since that very first weekend, Dredge aficionados, uh, Scipios, Sodak, they continue showing up in these results. They aren't repeating these first place in the challenge results, but the deck has renewed momentum. I wanted to take a look at one of my old favorites, see how it was faring in the current modern meta. And so, of course, I looked at what Sodek was doing. That's always a good place to start with Dredge. And the drum I've been beating on this is that the mana seems a bit rough to add in that red-white spell to Dredge because if you remember back in our deck dives, you wanna have access to red and green in your opening hand. And that's because you wanna be able to cast Life from the Loam after turn two because Life from the Loam is a Dredge card. You pick it back up out of your graveyard to dredge three, and then you want to cast it again to get it back into your graveyard and also pick lands up that have been dredged out of your graveyard to continue making your land drops or fuel a very large late game conflagrate or both. Because that's kind of like your, it's one of your ongoing cards that can be fueling what's happening over and over and over again. There's also that engine with uh, Forgotten Cave, which is a cycling land from Modern Horizons. It got added in there. So that's kind of a little dredge engine as well. So anyway, you always want to have red and a green. Now you want to have red, green, and white. What does that do to your mana base? Um, these mana bases have up to the Rainbow Land array to a full three City of Brass, as, long, as well as that new, I mean, the usual gemstone mine that's always there. So the mana base is kind of like eight red shocks, excuse me, eight red fetches, Two Stomping Grounds, two Sacred Foundries, and a Blood Crypt uh, because you want to have that black mana for hard-casting or dredge creatures sometimes. You get four Rainbow Lands, which is three City of Brass. I guess you could also run Mana Confluence if you wanted to. And a Gemstone Mine, a couple Forgotten Caves for that engine we talked about, and then a Basic Mountain because, you know, if you're going to get paths. maybe someone's going to land distru- destroy you where you get to get that Basic. Anyway, but what's interesting here is the creature base has become more lean in a surprising way. like um, Sodic, for in particular, is not playing any Bloodgast, no Silver Smoke Ghoul in the main, and instead is playing more playsets of Dredgers, like your Golgari Thug, your Stinkweed Imp, full playsets of the Payoffs and Narcomoeba and Prized Amalgam, three Ox of um, I know that some other players have... Seem to still value a couple blood gassed, a couple silver smoke ghoul as additional attackers, or and maybe shave down ox to like a two of, maybe shave a Golgari thug, maybe even shave a land.
0: So Nick is only playing three life from the loam.
1: Yeah, that's more common now. Three life from the loam. Um, I think it's I think it's maybe just because they think they can get it long game. But
0: but I also wonder if that maybe changes your math in the early game where having red green early is as important as maybe just going for red white because you have this rule of 8 now.
1: Well, see that's that is what a non-dredger would say, Stan. Because what 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 the reason that you want green in your opener is because after turn 2 you are not taking a natural draw. You don't want to. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. yeah, if you can help it. So basically, you're never drawing into another land. So if you cannot k- pick up and then cast life from the loam, you're not going to ever draw an, a green land. It's so like you basically have to be able to cast the life from the loam to then get another land back in the first place. So that's why you want to have access to green uh, in your opener, if at all possible. Does that make sense? How dare you assume
0: I'm not a dredger?
2: Because I just
0: know you're not. Oh, you're right.
2: That's why I appreciate about you. You know, the funniest thing about this deck is every time we talk about it, I look at I look at Goldfish to see how much money it would cost me to build this deck, and I'm always like, I should finish Stretch. I should finish, like, every time I look at <laughs> it, I'm like, I should like finish Stretch. bucks. I mean, it's like 100, but yeah, cause mostly because I have to get life from the loam, but Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, so it's the, it's the usual stuff. Conflagrate Great
1: Light from the Lump, Shriekhorn, Creeping Chill, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's So this is Dredge as
2: you mostly knew it, but it has another two mana value enabler spell. Yeah, I guess the one thing I wanted to check here really quickly was they're shaving creatures, so... With these builds, you only really can kill people with prized amalgam and narco amoeba. Is that kind of the story? And creeping chill, of course. Like so, that's the story. Yeah, that's and well, and ox. Like, don't forget about ox. But how often are you actually attacking with with ox? Is it frequent? Well, I
1: mean, uh, the game is typic- the game is frequently over or about over uh, with ox. So it's like yeah, you don't typically need to, but yeah, it gets the job done. Uh, very well i mean th- this dredge is a creeping chill cheese deck now right where yeah. you, you you don't need a lot of attacks okay. with with your stuff so it's like you get two turns with like two narc Amoebas, maybe a prized amalgam in there and then you you're gonna get 12 damage off your creeping chill your opponent's likely gonna fetch it once or twice and the game is effectively over. Okay. But yeah, like, so, but that is, a, that is a question, right? Is how many attackers do you need here? And you will see in this deck that Sodek did have a couple blood in the side, which I did like adding when I needed some maybe increased speed, or if I thought I might be facing increased removal or like path effects, and I wanted to have a few more things to
2: to get them, get them dead. Yeah, and of course you kill people with conflict rate. Right? So yeah that's
1: that's the thing. like Sodic runs two. Some people run one. Um, I like his choice of running two here. So how did this play, right? This is what we're actually talking about. The one the things I was looking for was how does having eight cathartic effects feel? How does the mana base feel and play? And then how does dredge feel right now in the modern meta because I haven't really played dredge for a while. And the rule of eight here does perform really well. like having twice as many chances to get that cathartic effect makes for those reliable functional openers especially with the london mole as it's already increased combo decks like tron and like dredge it gives you two of those effects in your opener much more frequently as well so like if you cast these back to back like turn two then turn three like you can really blow a game pretty wide open in your favor and that, that's just, that's just a big deal. Like being able to, to not just rely on a single casting. Cause you do brick, like you, you don't always get an amazing dredge chain going. I had a lot of bad luck with my dredge chains, uh, in my, uh, league and a half or so. And like the question I guess is how does this feel compared to merchant of the veil slash haggle and, as a comparison. And for me, like I really can't speak to that because I haven't been playing a lot of dredge recently.
2: I suspect the answer is that Hagel is worse. Well, mm. Yeah. And you've played it enough with Hagel. I mean, we did, we did like a dive down into it when Hagel was in the deck. Uh, if I remember right. And I would think you would remember if it was good by comparison. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not, like it's not you great. would be like, Oh man, I miss Hagel a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, this is this this is more than ever, I think, like, yeah, this is my, my turn to play is going to blow this deck open and going to make everything sort of tick. And I think that's what it does. Yeah, um, and you
2: were talking about it so much, in fact, with the turn two that you, you mentioned that people are running gemstone caverns in the sideboard to be able yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. to play these two mana cards on turn one occasionally in situations where that was potentially good.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, like I, anytime you're on the draw, I really liked having this. Like, I, it's not—I don't think it's a universal include, but I really liked having the gemstone caverns, on the uh, on the draw, and like you said, it like it would get you under counter magic. Like if you're playing against like a deck where it's like, okay, well, I have my mana leak up on turn two, you're like, well, what turn two? I'm the Sun, turn one, friend. Right. I, I mean, so yeah, it first eight cathartic effects feels as good as you'd expect. Second, the mana base felt fine and i'm gonna just sort of you know eat crow i guess the 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 worst part of the mana base was the trigger on magic online for city of brass um that was the worst part but in in full in full honesty i didn't feel like my mana was a real issue like there were definitely times so what you would do a lot in dredge originally was you would fetch your stomping ground and then fetch your blood crypt and you're kind of set Right. And this oftentimes you're like, I'm fetching my stomping ground and then I'm fetching my sacred foundry. Mm -hmm. So I don't have black mana to hard cast my dredge spells, but you then you can sort of you can hope to rely on doing that long game by getting that your lands back with like life from the loam or something like that. And so if you really need it, right? Yeah. Like getting, getting red, green, and white online early was not a really huge worry for me, especially with the increase in Rainbow Lands, which I think is important. And because you gain so much life through Creeping Chill, like City of Brass for your fixing wasn't really that bad. Like I also didn't play against too many hardcore aggro decks, but Dredge is pretty typically good against those. So I wasn't really concerned with my my life total so much. And so I think my fears might have been a little bit overblown on the mana. Like I said, there were issues w- with black mana sometimes, but I think that that's not, you know, that's not your game plan. If you're, d- if you're hard casting your dredgers, you're in sort of backup mode or like weird uh, things where you're like, well, if I block with my Golgari thug, I can get a Narcomima back on top of my deck. And then if I dredge it, then it triggers my prize amalgams in the yard. And like, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of angles there, but that's not like super essential. Um, so what does dredge feel like right now? And I think it feels fine. Like it, it does an unfair thing that hoses some decks has to erase other decks, has some trouble in some matchups and that that's like modern, right? Mm-hmm. That's modern. Yeah. Baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's modern baby. It's like one of, one of the, one of the issues with putting most of your game plan on these two mana value cards, is that, is that a cost two mana? Like people get the opportunity to thought seize you or inquisition you once or twice. Like they can hold up that counter magic when they're on the play, whatever. Like you don't have haggle as that one mana option to get your dredge engine going, uh, even though that feels a little bit anemic at times. Like, so that, that is an issue, but gemstone caverns does help that I can, I can imagine a world where you play more. I think I have seen people play more gemstone caverns just for that opportunity to get the turn one, two mana value card, um, and also it's a painless rainbow land when you're when you play it on the draw. Like it's painless and it's rainbow. Why not? I I love three Oxidagonus. I think if you're gonna play it like this, you want three. Like it just blows the game so wide open after the early dredges. Like I just I always want to see it in my graveyard. So having three is great. Um, like there were numerous times when I had like seven other cards in my grave it needs eight to uh to escape it so i was like always like figuring out these ways where it's like i'm gonna cast life from the loam and not get any lands back and like i'm gonna like i'm gonna do this fetch here and then cast life from the loam and then i have enough cards to escape it and then discard my whole like my three dredgers in my hand and just go insane and it was like it was beautiful i love ox of agonis conclusion (laughs) if you like if you like dredge I think it's feeling as good as it has in a long time. The problem is that it's still just Dredge. It's like not really any faster. It's maybe a little bit more reliable. It's good against the same stuff, bad against the same stuff, still hates graveyard hate, still doesn't love hand disruption. I don't think it's like fundamentally changed Dredge. Like the loss of Faithless Looting and then the addition of Ox of Agonis were fundamental changes to the way this deck could succeed or not succeed. This change does make it better. But modern is also better. Everything improves. You know, nothing improves in a vacuum. And so, rising
0: tide, yeah, lifts all boats. Lifts
1: all boats, but sometimes some boats are are, are more buoyant. Um, <laughs> and you know, this dredge is sort of just keeping up in a lot of ways here, right? And this deck is still a sleeve for me, but like in the way that dredge always is. Like it, it scratches a particular itch and play style. It's going to run some people over, but it's not like the best deck in modern. So like it's just like if you've liked Dredge, check it out again, and maybe you'll still like it. But I feel like you had probably didn't stop playing it in the first place. And that is a sleeve, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 a Shane sleeve.
0: <clears throat> Very brave of you to deem Dredge a sleeveable deck.
1: I know, right? Like a really hot take. <laughs> Sam, what do you got? Like uh, that's that was a lot to say that Dredge is still fine. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got for us? Something cool, I hope.
0: I, I hoped so too. So, I played a deck. It's a red black deck. It trophied uh, this week and appeared in Friday's 5 0 Modern League Dump. Uh, it was played by a very well known magic community member, Liz, aka Devoted Druid, on Twitter. And what this is, is Pyromancer. In fact, how about before I really tell you what this is, let me read off some of the cards in this deck. And I want you guys to tell me if it reminds you of anything. Okay? Four Young Pyromancer. Four Horde Arcanist. Two Croxa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, four Village Rites. Mm-hmm.
2: Four Fatal Push. I mean, it sounds like, uh, sounds like historic to me. Doesn't it? Yeah. You don't say.
0: That's basically what this was. And that's kind of what caught my attention in that it was a modern deck with a lot of cards that I play and love in historic and some of the notable modern legal additions are Colligan's Command, Lightning Bolt, Dread Bore, Bedlam Reveler, and of course the new card, Sedgemore Witch.
2: Can we talk about Witch for a minute?
0: Yes. Let, let's. Let me read what what she is. Okay. Tuna Black for a three-two with menace and ward. Ward is pay three life, so it's not quite hex proof. Basically, anytime an opponent targets. Her with a spell or ability, they have to pay three life. And then she also has Magecraft, um, and her Magecraft ability is: Anytime a spell is cast or copied, you make a 1-1 pest token.
2: Okay. So, So Dave, what do you want to talk about? I just wanted to say I thought this card would be playable, and you guys were like, no. I guess we'll find out what you think at the end of this dive down, but like,
0: you know. Yeah, we will find out what I think at the end of this dive down. So unlike the um, the historic version of this deck, which is all in on four Kroxa, and it's got Claim the Firstborn as well, this leans a little more heavily on the type of card advantage and potential power level of a go-white token strategy, right? Your Witch is basically copies five through eight of Young Mancer here. So I'll start with what's good, what I liked about this deck. Sedgemore Witch has Menace. That's nice. A lot of times... I would remove a creature. I just keep one around and then I can swing with reckless abandon. People try to block. And then that little flag at the bottom of MTGO comes up. that says illegal blockers. Can't do that.
2: Yep. So that was cool. I, it worries me that this is the number one thing you have on your what's good, though. I got to tell you, Stan, when I was just about to take my victory lap and be like, you said this card wasn't playable and then you played it and people got a 5 on it with it and uh Okay. Let's see where no, this goes. No. Let's see where the rest of this list goes.
0: You know what else is good? Ward, pay three life, not bad. It's not as good as Hexbrew. It's not
2: good. It's not bad.
0: <laughs> it's fine, not good. That That's three one life, creeping chill for me. Exactly, yeah. That three life can sometimes be the reach you need to just kill them off with the bolt. You know what I mean? Where you kind of chip away with some tokens here or there. Maybe you, you can swing in with witch ones or with a young pyromancer ones. Maybe your croaksa makes them discard a land or nothing at all, and they have to take three that way. So Ward pay three. Even if she's answered, that three life is not nothing.
2: Okay, that's good. That, that's that's fine. Yeah.
0: Not good. Also, likely to no one's surprise, Colligan's Command is fantastic, and I just bring that up to say, if and when that hits Historic, going to be awesome, especially if Red-Black Arcanist sticks around. Great card. Recursion, removal, card advantage. Uh, a shatter effect why not and i think that's about it in my good list
2: okay
0: Uh uh-oh i I have a, a longer what's bad list
1: this is my favorite kind of deck dive
0: i know and i haven't done one of these in a while okay so here's here's my issues with it young pyromancer i think is passable at three mana You hold it up until turn three when you have the extra land to get a little bit of value off of it, even if it potentially eats a removal spell as soon as it hits the board. Okay? But to play the witch safest, that means you have to wait till turn four because she's a three drop. And I'm kind of worried that the surrounding suite of spells, be it Thoughtseize, Inquisition, Lightning Bolt, Fatal Push aren't necessarily high impact enough into the turn four, turn five, late game of modern.
1: I feel like we talked about this when we when we spoiled this card. It's like, this is the Monastery Mentor effect, which is just like, I, do I, I need to untap with this card or play it late? However,
2: however, however, what if because you have eight of these cards now in your deck and this one does damage if someone points a removal spell at it, you just play it on turn three anyway and don't worry yes. about it?
0: <laughs> You're absolutely right. And that's what you kind of end up doing. Is it worth three mana for lightning bolt? I don't no, know.
2: No, But is it worth three mana for a lightning bolt where your opponent has to use a card to kill a creature? That's a little better. Is that the better. best outcome yeah. you want? No. But I mean, I mean Stan, when, when you and
1: I played played a game for funsies, I was I was seriously was on the other side of the battlefield. Just like what? What is, what is Stan doing? Like, what, yeah. is he, why is he not? Why is he not doing anything of substance? Then he was like, "Oh, on turn four, I'm to ca- <laughs> I'm gonna cast this uh, this creature, and you got two tokens out of it." I think in the end, yeah. And uh, I just all I did was conflagrate it and one of the
0: tokens. So I don't want to pile on on Sedgmore Witch because she's a splashy fun new card. I also think there may be some issues with this deck's construction because Liz mentioned on Twitter. The deck needs iteration. It's basically her first draft. Okay. And one of the issues I really had with this deck, kind of um, at a core level, is that Bedlam Reveler does not, in my opinion, belong in the same deck as Dreadhorde Arcanist and Croxa. Total non with those two cards that come down much sooner. I played around 10 matches, and I never was able to ever cast Bedlam Reveler under any circumstances unless I just did nothing else Ah. meaning like I didn't play into what makes Dreadhorde arcanist or croaks a powerful
2: right because you're you're exiling the cards that make bedlam reveler playable yeah
0: exacto mundo so yeah in in general I'm not sure that you can play this deck on plan and ever expect to cast a reveler for two mana and I don't think you're gonna stay alive long enough to cast it for what is it eight so I, I think that was kind of a problem and one of the places where you might be able to iterate on this deck is just getting Edlam Reveler out of there and and doing something else that could be more impactful to the board sooner.
2: Yeah. So what other card did you not like?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So guys, I don't think village rights is a modern power level card. I think this is a super
2: interesting question. You don't think so either. It's fascinating because like this. So when Mardo Pyromancer was good, this deck did not, or this card did not exist. And I've often looked at it and wondered like, would this card be playable in that in that deck and, and yes if so why wouldn't it be playable in this theoretical deck as well yeah
1: i mean because you maybe, don't have lingering souls you don't have faithless looting to power your lingering souls things like that
2: i mean maybe with faithless looting you wouldn't play village rights though you know what i mean like given yeah. like you, you wouldn't have even bothered it's too um it's too dependent on you having a token out i mean i I, th- I want to like it but i think
1: the entire balance of this deck and I think Stan's got at that is what can I do early and uh, early enough to get advantage of like these grindy cards like can I grind in modern with mardu excuse me with uh,
0: uh, what is this color combination called Rakdos? Can I grind yes. with Rakdos? Um, that is the question. I think part of the issue with this version is that because I don't have claimed the firstborn, I don't have a lot of ways to get like uh, card and board advantage from my village rights. You know, I'm either using it as a defensive spell to reclaim a little bit of value off of my opponent's removal spells. In some cases, I'm using it to um, get card advantage off of my tokens.
2: Right. That's which is okay. That's plan A, right? Is card advantage off of tokens with it? But
0: I don't. I don't know what's plan A. I don't, because you can't cast it on turn three with a young pyromancer, even. Right. Right, so now village rice becomes a spell you cast on turn four, and is that worth it? And the other thing is, on turn three, if you're casting it in response to your croaks a triggers, I don't think that interaction is modern power level either, because by turn three, your opponents have done something that likely has impacted the board, um, or maybe even set themselves up for a powerful combo. You know, imagine doing that against uh, Tron. It stinks. David? Yeah.
1: John John Lovitz always said so.
0: In general, I never felt like any of the creatures in this deck were really good enough for modern or working in tandem, and that included the witch. So yeah, none of them, be it Arcanist, be it Kroxa, um, Young Pyromancer even, there's a reason we barely see it in modern as it stands. I, I don't think copies... Five through eight were the thing we needed more of because we sort of had that already. Whether it was seasoned pyromancer or monastery mentor, mm-hmm. I did think about some ways that it can potentially improve, and a lot of that just has to do with replacing all the awkward stuff. You know, yeah. may- maybe those bedlam revelers can be seasoned pyromancers, and maybe the deck should try running claim the firstborn because three CMC or less is still good enough for modern, I think. Right, like stealing a Tarmogoyf—that sounds pretty good. Yeah, there are, there are tons in. of
2: targets for it. I do worry that, that that there aren't enough creature decks to be able to have that main. That's one of the main problems with Claim the Firstborn is that in Historic, it's good because the meta is heavily creature-y. But...
1: I mean, also, you don't play Claim for Value. You play Claim the Firstborn with a sack outlet. So unless you're playing Village rights or you're contorting the deck to give you some way to get rid of the creature for value, like, what do you you don't just claim it's you're not doing what like what's the what's the name of that effect dave the threaten threaten
2: yeah i mean you Mm -hmm. do threaten if you're gonna alpha strike somebody sure that comes up a non-zero amount of the time but it's certainly a lot less than just using a sack outlet to kill their creature
0: and maybe you can splash for third colors too like go white go blue have more access to one mana instance that either impact the board or get you card advantage i think all those things could be in this deck's future if you want to try to find a way to make octo red black octomancer work
2: right which is a deck we've heard about occasionally right
0: truth yeah so unfortunately and i say unfortunately because i on a whim bought some sedgemore witches before i ever played this deck because i was like this looks cool (laughs) they're they're cheapish why not why not hedge i kind of think it's a heave and I'll even go so far as to say that right now, today, I don't expect sedgemore Witch to remain a presence in Modern in a shell like this. Um, but maybe she can find more success in older formats where she's a bit less vulnerable. Though I'm just not sure three CMC is what you want for a young pyromancer effect, ultimately.
1: I just feel like we knew this. Like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have tested this deck, Dan. I'm just saying, like... I don't know what people are expecting. Like, I think Dave's just kind of, I mean, I think what we were expecting is, is the pay three life and menace and the life gain off of the pest creature token type things enough to make this deck like aggressive enough where this is like part of your mid
2: game transition package. Yeah. And attacking as a three, two also, I mean, it's also extra power.
1: Yeah, right. it's just like, is this something that can be part of a package? And maybe you're right, Stan, where it's like, this is just not the right build for this card. Like, this could be a far more aggressive deck that's doing a lot less cute things. Like, this could be like a, why not Rakdos Prowess with, like, sedgemar Witch as, like, your late game, like, two of or something like that.
0: So here's the problem I also think that Sedgemar Witch poses that I didn't touch on. You can't play her in the same deck as Luris. And when you have like these cheap pyromancer or arcanist or other prowess type creatures that benefit from a lot of spells, being able to have some late game recursion with Luris is so huge. It's just one of the strongest things you can be doing in most formats that we play. And is she better than Luris? I think is one of the other questions you kind of have to ask yourself if you're trying to put her into your modern deck full of spells and pyromancers and you know cheap threats. Yeah. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, devoted druid at devoted druid liz online uh, i don't remember her last name is uh, a good player and um yes. piloted this to a 50 and i so i think i'm I'll, i would still want to keep an eye on it to see if there's any potential to see if like you said this token generation shell can kind of go somewhere but you know it is a shell that people have tried with lots and lots of times and um maybe this still isn't enough to get it there unfortunately
0: I think if you're a player as good as Liz, or just a really good player in general, where you know your role in every matchup, and you kind of know exactly how you're supposed to sideboard, it gets a little easier to grind with this type of strategy. Um, And I think that's kind of what you have to be really good at, is is finding your path to victory in grindy scenarios, because this is not a fast acro deck. This is capital M mid-range. Yeah. But it was fun playing. And now I own a playset of Sedgmore Witches, so... Maybe those will come in handy one day. You never Shane, what know. What do you think? It could. Do you think that was a good investment?
1: Perfect. <laughs> Man. I think this card's bad, but I would not be surprised
2: to see it show up. <laughs> All right, and with that, thus concludes our annual or quarterly episode of Sleeve Believe Heave. We got two heaves and one sleeve for a deck that everybody already knew was tier 1. Hope hope it was entertaining. <laughs> I had fun trying to Cast Magma, Magma Opus. Uh, it didn't happen much, but um, you know it's always fun to try new cards. I, I gotta say, I don't mind that Modern has been mostly unperturbed by Strixhaven. It's been a nice break. We said it might be a nice break from the way things have gone the last couple of months. I feel fine with that. I am gonna head home and or head back into the queues and just settle back into like some prowess builds and figure out: Do I want to play? Do I want to play? red, blue. Do I want to play red, white? Like, that's probably where my mind's going to be at in modern. Cause you know that it that's always where it is and it got new toys. But, um, I think the next thing, the one thing that I wish that we had looked at, I guess there are a couple of things that I wish we had looked at. One is that, uh, Velo Mac lore hold deck taking turns deck seems pretty sweet. That's another one that I would put on people's radars to have, have a look at Shane, um, played against him. Did you lose against it or did you win against that? Ultimately? Uh,
1: It was a little bit too slow, uh, but it did beat me game two when it just sort of like stopped what I was doing long enough. I had some bad dredges. I don't think it has a it's it definitely is a uh, not not a fast deck.
2: Yep. It can be. Yep. And then the other thing that I I would like to try, uh, I'm going to try at some point in the future. I still haven't got a chance to play expressive iteration in blue red prowess. Want to see how good that card is. Want to see it show up more often uh, from what it is right now. Yeah, seems hot right now doom wake has certainly been doing well with it and other people picking up the same list have as well so
0: i think i even saw it appear in storm did you really yeah which i thought was unusual
2: interesting surprising in a
0: in a, in a league result i don't know if it stuck but there you have it all right that wraps up this week's show thank you guys for playing modern with me this week it was fun
1: It's always nice. It's every once in a while. It's nice to go back to like magic online. Remember like what modern is all about. Like it's, it's, it's so easy to play arena really fast. Then you're like, well, I could play really fast or I could dredge
0: on magic online. Yeah. Playing without the auto tapper is certainly humbling.
1: (laughs) You're dragging that card out. You're like, Oh, I got to tap things.
0: On the other hand, you never have to worry about like holding full control yeah because it just does that automatically
2: weirdly i find the gameplay faster on magic online like the actual gameplay in some ways but getting to a match getting a deck like all that stuff of course is faster on arena fit and finish is better feels better on arena but once you're actually like tapping cards it's like i don't know i feel like the games move along pretty quickly on magic online especially since stan got me to get a gamer mouse and i programmed in okay as a button on it which is a very nice move
1: also, I mean, there's just a lot of, I mean, now that we have like two minutes to talk about magic online versus magic arena, like the interacting with the graveyard,
2: interacting with like
1: the exile zone is just so much better because it has just little pop-up windows or like little trays where you can look at these zones a lot better than like fanning through a bunch of cards with a slider. Yeah. So some things are still better old school. Absolutely.
0: Though I wouldn't hate an auto tapper. Let, let's just be clear. I want it. <laughs>
2: Get out of here. You, get out of here, you casual.
0: For my birthday. <laughs> yeah. Get me auto-tapper. Everyone else, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'll read your name out on the show. It's your own little contribution. If you'd like to submit a question to the pod, you can email us thedivedown at gmail.com or tweet us at the all one word. You can also support the show via Patreon over at patreon.com slash thedivedown. You can support the show with Mana Traders while playing Magic the Gathering. If you sign up for Mana Traders using coupon code The Down, all one word, you'll also get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. It's a great deal. You can support us while playing Magic Arena without spending any money by downloading the uh, untapped... MTG Arena companion software over at untapped.thedivedown.com. Like we said, it sits in your tray. It collects data. It's the data you wanted to collect. No, no personal data.
1: PII, as they call it in the biz. Yeah, you, yeah, don't, I, you I, don't want to mess with that.
0: I, I, I have to assume it's GDPR compliant, but maybe we can look into that. HIPAA. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, remember to sleeve, believe, and heave.